Turn your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 7, and then put your finger there, and also in chapter 22. As we wrap up our series today, Strength for Today, Hope for Tomorrow, Revelation 7, verse 13, this is the Word of God. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Then chapter 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so they may have the right to the tree of life, and they may enter the city by the gates. And then join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so glad this morning that we have before us your word, your truth, that it is certain, that it is true. We're asking that your spirit would help us today uh, to grasp what you're saying to us. Uh, Father, uh, we pray that as we come as well to the table, Lord, You'll increase our understanding of all the good things we have in Christ and the great hope we have for tomorrow and the strength for today. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So our year and a half journey through Revelation is over. I don't know if you'll, you'll have a sigh of relief or what it'll be. Um, we've seen lions and lambs, seven churches, seven letters, seven bowls, seven trumpets. You get the idea. We've seen Michael and the angels in battle. Uh, we've seen a great angel who could have a foot on heaven and a foot on earth, declaring that the one uh, who lives forever and ever uh, is coming. We've seen Satan thrown into a bottomless pit. We've seen Jesus come on a great white horse with the armies of heaven following after him, answering finally the martyr's call of how long, how long. Uh, and everyone who's been subjected to uh, pain and, and prejudice in a world that's seemingly gone mad, uh, the answer is he's coming. We've listened to the Apostle John describe what he saw when Jesus pulled back the curtains of the universe, uh, the physical universe, to allow us to see the spiritual warfare that's raging behind the scenes. We've seen the city of man destroyed and the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven as a bride, a city, and a garden. John's done his best to describe in human language these pictures and symbols that are all meant to overwhelm us with the glory of Christ. We look back to Eden and forward to what's about to take place, a story of how God rules in and over history uh, and has got into the day when King Jesus triumphs and returns. And it stirs in us a longing for the day when Jesus and the new Jerusalem descend from heaven and we will be forever with the Lord. And so last week we concluded with, Come, Lord Jesus, and what a glorious day that will be. So we've watched and we've listened. Uh, and uh, like the original seven tur- churches in Turkey, we realized that, that we live in a Psalm 2 fallen world uh, where, where sin reigns. And as God's people, we face discouragement. We face heartache. We face persecution. Uh, and we, we bemoan the loss today of things such as absolute truth and immorality. We live in a world that's desperately trying to live as if God doesn't exist. And trying to pretend there's no such thing as sin. 
Recent polls show that over three-fourths of Americans believe American society and culture is in a state of decay. And so this book is about things that must soon take place, but more than that, it's a book about Jesus. It's a book about his triumph in history, the triumph of the Lamb. And reflecting on that triumph, God does give us strength for today, and he does give us hope for tomorrow. So as we conclude the study, I want us to reflect on the, the impact that Revelation as a whole leaves us with, but zero in on, on the verses that we read both in our Declaration of Truth this morning and in just a moment ago. So let's, let's go to the text. First, our hope. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes from where they come? I said to him, sir, you know. He said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these verses focus on the saints who have already entered into their eternal rest. They've already persevered because they've washed their robes, we're told, in the blood of the Lamb. They identify themselves with the Lamb who was slain for their sins on the cross. And they worship Him day and night. To bar from the famous song for us is how I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. All right? We want to be with them. And the key is how these clothes become white. It's not through detergent. All right? Not in that new detergent that you don't have to have a bottle for if you've seen the ads for that. No, it comes through one source. That's the blood of the Lamb. Isaiah 1 famously tells us, Though your sins are scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And it's Zechariah 3 that gives us the clearest picture of what we're talking about here. The high priest Joshua standing before God. Uh, he's being accused by Satan of being a great sinner. And indeed, we look and his clothes are stained with sin. They're ruined by sin. Uh, and then listen to what happens. Then he showed me that Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. This is not a brand plucked from the fire. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I've taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. <clears throat> so the orders are given uh, to, to clothe Joshua in pure clothes. So they take away those sin-stained clothes, uh, and he's given pure clothes. And that's what we just sang. His robes for mine. We're not to stand before God on our own sinful record. We want to stand before God clothed with the righteousness of Jesus himself. A wardrobe he gives us based on his finished work on the cross for us, where he took our sins upon himself, our dirty clothes, and exchanged his robes for those. And that exchange takes place when we receive God's gift of eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. We simply believe that what Jesus did on the cross, he did for you, he did for me. And when it comes to, to his children, to his people, to the church, we often say God is cross-eyed. Uh, he sees us through the lens of the cross. He sees us as pure and holy 
Because when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. As we will sing later, what can wash away my sin? Good. Let me see if you get this one. What can make me whole again? Y'all are sharp. Eight's early. I know. We'll see how the 11 o'clock folks do. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found. I know nothing but the blood of Jesus. Hence, as a church, as, as the, the bride of Christ, we've learned in Revelation that we stand before God in dazzling white clothes, clean clothes, and we're loved by the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. John Erickson Tata draws parallels between her wedding day and Christ's love for the church. And here's what she wrote. I felt awkward as my girlfriends strained to shift my paralyzed body into a cumbersome wedding gown. No amount of corseting and binding my body gave me a perfect shape. The dress just didn't fit well. Then as I was wheeling to the church, I glanced down and, and noticed that I'd accidentally run over the hem of my dress, leaving a greasy tire mark. My paralyzed hands couldn't hold the bouquet of daisies that lay off center on my lap. And my chair, though decorated for the wedding, was still a big, clunky, gray machine with belts, gears, and ball bearings. I certainly didn't feel like the picture-perfect bride in a bridal magazine. I inched my chair closer to the last pew to catch a glimpse of Ken in front. And there he was, standing tall and stately in his formal attire. I saw him looking for me, craning his neck to look up the aisle. My face flushed, and I suddenly couldn't wait to be with him. I'd seen my beloved, and the love in Ken's face had washed away all my feelings of unworthiness. I was his pure and perfect bride. You know, friends, as we daily battle sin, uh, it's easiest for, to th- for us to think you know, that, that, that we're not very lovely. Uh, especially to someone as holy and as lovely as Christ. So how do we deal with that, that daily dirt and grime of sin? Well, last week we saw in chapter 22, blessed are those who wash their robes. And so we saw that, hinted at, we, we didn't talk about it a lot, but the, the wash there is a, a, a continuous verb. It's washing each and every day. Daily confessing our sins before a holy God. And daily being forgiven by God. Daily receiving assurance that our sins are forgiven. And, and that we're His forever. And of His steadfast love for us. A love that will not let us go. A love that we cannot be separated from. A love that is an everlasting love. See, we need to understand, He loves us with the wide-open eyes of a, of a bridegroom's love, and, and he cannot wait. Jesus cannot wait for the day when we're united with him forever. For our part, to paraphrase Dennis Johnson, the hallmark of the true bride of Christ is that we worship no one but God, and we wait for no bridegroom but the Lamb. And he writes this, Today the church... Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus and cling to the faithful words of God now appear to be a small minority, defenseless in the face of the aggression of hostile government, the deception of pseudo-religion, and the seduction of euthanizing affluence and sexual immorality. Wherever the church is the king's beloved, 
And He is driving history to the consummation of our marriage. When every enemy is vanquished and the Lamb's glory floods the universe with light. Come, Lord Jesus. So that takes us back to the preceding verses in chapter 7 that we read together as the Declaration of Truth. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ has remarkable diversity. Uh, Every nation, city dwellers, rural people, people on the coast, the plains, the mountains, the islands, all servants of God, all standing together before the throne, all wearing the same white robes, all holding palm branches in their hands, all singing together the song of triumph, people from every nation, every language, joined together as one and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Remember, friends, what we said when we looked at that passage. When we sing, this is the song we're we're, we're joining in on. Don't look at at him singing, it's just something we do, just gathered in this one place. Our singing is not about us. It's not about our feelings. Our worship's far more than that. We're singing to glorify the God of the universe who's seated on the throne and the Lamb who has triumphed for us. And when we sing here, we are singing with the family of God that's already there. Remember that. So what about us? We've seen that Revelation is a a book from Jesus. It's a book about Jesus. It's a book for us that God intends to give us strength for today and hope for tomorrow. And in a world where evil seems to triumph, God wants us to stand firm as the people of God. There's a lot to discourage us today. I mean, we could go to the news and read it, and we could just all put our heads down. But I agree with Phil Newton. The best antidote to the seeping despondency of the world among God's people is for us to think long and clearly upon Christ. Then we shall always have reason to praise. So I would tell you, when we find ourselves discouraged, when we feel beaten down, defeated, when we've had one of those terrible, no good, very bad days, when worries and anxieties have caused a a long, dark night of the soul, when we've been let down by our friends, or we've lost our best friend, we must turn our eyes upon Jesus. And when we do, friends, the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. I would urge us in the days to come to come back to this book again and again. Contemplate the love we see, the power we see, His blood shed for us. Contemplate His greatness and glory. Contemplate these battles that the Lamb always wins. He always triumphs. Contemplate eternity. That after 10,000 years, we've only just begun. Ukraine, China, political division, inflation, crime, 
COVID persecuted Christians. Friends, we need to lift our eyes to the glory of Christ. We need to celebrate His victory through the cross and the resurrection that offers to all of us the gift of eternal life. We need to tell a world that's constantly clamoring for more, a world that's seeking to live in a in virtual reality rather than in the real world, that Christ is enough. He's quite enough. And friends, this meal set before us makes that truth known. This meal, is God's love's on full display here. We see the depth of that love. We see the breadth of that love. That God has washed away our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And opposition to the church may continue to grow in our own culture. John has shown us a lot of future conflict. But in the end, we can rest assured of the revelation message. God wins. The Lamb of God triumphs. The Lamb who was slain for sinners such as us. So after this study of Revelation, I really hope that we do love Jesus more. I hope we trust Jesus more. I hope we've grown stronger for our walk through this world. That our hope's more certain. Our worship more joyful. That our gratitude for His grace has grown. And that reality is set before us here. That's why Jesus invites us to a meal of his body and blood. A meal that will strengthen us in our walk. A meal that does strengthen our hope for tomorrow. So we invite all who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are members of good standing of an evangelical church, to come to this table. Let me just say, if you're here and you're not yet a believer, we're glad you're here. But the Bible would urge you not to partake. Uh, Don't participate in the bread and the cup. Rather, the bulletin has some suggestions and we urge you to read God's word and pray and and ask God to show you Jesus. Children, not you've been examined by the session, should not partake, but if you have the desire, uh, let me know and and come to class today at 5 o'clock, all right? Believers, we're called to examine ourselves to see, do we recognize the body of Christ? Talking about our attitude towards sin and, and do we see the cost Jesus paid? His blood. So if I look at my life and I think my sin's no big deal, or if there's some sin that I just will not turn away from, then I should not partake because I'm not truly realizing what Jesus has done. On the other hand, if we do think sin's a big deal, and we are struggling, and we want strength to battle sin, to battle temptation... Friends, then by all means, we come and we eat. So let's now each take a moment and confess our sins quietly before a holy God. Father, we acknowledge our sin before you, Lord. We say things we shouldn't say. We we think things we shouldn't think. Uh, We do things we shouldn't do. We don't think about what we should think about. We don't say what we should say. We don't do what we should do. We confess that before you this morning. Fathers, we confess our sin, Lord. We know that your word promises us that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, that's our hope.
We're thankful for that today. So Lord, remind us we are forgiven, not because we're good, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.